Welcome everybody back to another episode of EI on the Fly, our podcast about all things early intervention. Um, I'm Dana Childress. I'm one of your co-hosts. I work in Virginia as an early intervention professional development consultant on our state's state's professional development team, and I'm always joined by Emily. Hi, Dana. Um, I am Emily Webb. I am the coordinator of general supervision for the Division of Early Intervention here in Massachusetts. Thanks, Emily. So today we're going to kind of continue. We started it off in our first episode, continue our series-long discussion on tele-intervention. And today we're going to hear what people are thinking about tele-intervention, some positives and some benefits. So we're going to start off on that strengths-based approach, right? Like what's going well. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the benefits of tele-intervention, discuss what we've heard from people who are living tele-intervention right now. So the service providers, service coordinators, and Emily will talk a little bit about once some of the research is suggesting around tele-intervention. I know it's going to be so interesting to see what comes of research over the next couple of years because this has been such a shift for our our field. I'm I'm really interested to see where that goes. Um, But we're also going to hear some stories from some practicing EI providers who are sharing what's gone well for them or what some of their positive experiences are. So first we wanted to, to start off with sharing with you guys what are we hearing. Um, so I'll tell you some of the things that I've heard, some benefits to tele-intervention. I mean, certainly it was a rocky road to, for, to some extent to get started because, as you guys know, when the pandemic hit and, and re- things changed in states, a lot of practitioners were thrown right into mm. tele-intervention. But with that, all that, of a, all that adjustment, one of the most common benefits I've heard is less travel. Like who doesn't like that? Less travel, less traffic. Um, And I heard practitioners say we can actually see more families and have more flexibility because they're not spending so much time in the car. Uh, I don't know. Is that one you've heard in Massachusetts too, Emily? That is definitely a positive that people here are sharing is just the travel. And exactly like you said, being able to see more families um, and also having a little bit more flexibility, although, you know, I hate this word in EI, but around the dosing of early intervention and, you know, the ability to do like potentially more or less visits with a particular family because of the option of telehealth. Yeah. And what I was thinking too was the flexibility to um, not only see more families, but also see more of the family life for the families they are seeing. So maybe um, I heard one um, interventionist talk about being able to join a mealtime that she hadn't been able to join before because her schedule didn't allow where the parent texted her and she was able to hop online and see this happening in real time to help problem solve with the family. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Another provider that I um, heard talking about it said the the opportunity to see more families was wonderful, but now that she's transitioning back to in-person doing face-to-face visits, her her number of families was so high, she's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So that, you know, the benefit, and then there's an additional transition as they're still trying to keep that up. But, but you know, some providers in our state are moving to more of a hybrid approach where they're seeing some families with tele-intervention and some in person. Um, another really good, strong benefit we've heard of um, is family engagement. So some practitioners, and we'll talk about this in our episode on challenges, but some practitioners have had to kind of get over the hump with figuring out how to engage families virtually. But many have reported that 
because the family's in the driver's seat, the provider's not there to, and I say air quotes, like you guys can see it, but get in the way. Um, and that was what a, one practitioner on a survey I did said, when she said, when I'm not in the way, the family takes the lead and the child's learning more. And so when the practitioner was on the other side of the screen, the parent was in a position, a better position to take more of the lead on the interactions with the child. And so practitioners had to use their coaching skills in a different way, their observation skills in a different way to really support the caregiver learning and the caregiver's practice using intervention strategies with the child. So what have you been hearing about that one, Emily, in your state? I think similar things. While you were just talking, I was thinking, and I feel like I always relate back to series one, but it's almost like forced functional assessment, right? Yeah. Like you're kind of forced into that. You have to sort of sit and be able to observe and um, really actively listen to the family and do some of those things that, you know, you and I have talked about over and over again. Um, and it, it's kind of nice to feel like that's your job. You know, um, one of the stories that we'll hear from one of the providers, she talks about like what a blessing it was to really be able to like slow down and not feel like she has to implement everything in one visit because she really is taking the time to observe and listen and um, collect information, then respond. Um, and I think telehealth kind of allows us for that. It sort of sets us up for that naturally. Yeah, I think so too. I love the idea of the slowing down. Um, I also heard about observing practitioners say, they had access to routines or activities that maybe they hadn't before if they went in and kind of their visits operated around the living room floor where they kind of plopped in the floor and played or, or they typically did certain things, you know, kind of that's what the visits became. Whereas when the they were on the other end of the screen, they could invite the family to just take them along with you. Like if you need to go change the diaper, then they would just invite the parent to pick the phone or the device up and take them along. Um, and that gave them a view of the family life that was different and maybe more authentic because the provider wasn't in there in person to kind of change the routine or have an impact on what would normally happen. Um, and I, I heard um, one practitioner I know talked about that with assessment and she said how cool it was to really see more like what it might be like for that family to interact and the communication skills when the child wasn't feeling self-conscious and maybe the family too because these new people were in the home. So that was kind of cool too. So what kind of things, how does that relate to what you've seen in the research, Emily, when, you know, what's the research telling us about telehealth or telehintervention? The research is, is interesting. And like you said earlier, I also am very anxious to see what research comes out in the next couple of years. I think that this will be kind of a hot, hot topic for the next three to five years. Um, there was a study that was published in the International Journal of Telerehabilitation um, out of the state of Colorado, and they reported some of the benefits being flexibility, access to providers, and greater family engagement. Um, Stetler and Brown talk about telehealth support, how they talk about how telehealth really supports parent coaching. And when a parent coaching model is used, we're seeing an increase in family participation, as well as parent competence, which 
being a, pa- a former parent of a child in early intervention, that parent confidence is just, it's huge. Um, they're reporting that parents are, you know, better equipped to embed strategies into their everyday routines and activities. And that, you know, kind of relates back to, to that dosing too. Um, there was just an article in the most recent Journal of Early Intervention that was talking about parent coaching. It wasn't necessarily around telehealth, but they were saying like families that EI providers that use a family coaching model, children get 18 more hours a week of services because it's embedded in their everyday routines and activities. And you think about 18, that's a big number for an wow. infant or toddler. Um It's a huge number, and that kind of drives home the importance of helping the family use the strategies so they can do it between visits. I mean, that's a that's really great to have a quantifiable number to kind of help us help people really understand that point. There's also research out there that suggests um, for children with autism who are receiving telerintervention services that they have more active family participation, um, which is which is huge and. you know, it actually would have been interesting if we had maybe reached out and talked to somebody that has been doing telehealth with some of the low incidence conditions, either hearing or vision or autism. Because um, I think sometimes we don't always talk enough about those populations in early intervention. And even though the services are um, related and collaborative, they can be different. And and what do those look like? And what are the benefits or challenges? Um it's definitely something to kind of think about. Yeah, for sure. I know that you, Dana, have been doing some national research on um, telehealth. Do you want to speak to like any of the information that you've learned? Sure. Um, so a colleague of mine, Megan Schumacher-Murphy, she's at Salem State University. We, early on in the pandemic, got curious about what it was like for practitioners during the, you know, to provide tele-intervention. So we, we decided to do a survey and we were targeting just three states, but ended up getting responses from, I think it was like 29 states, lots of, lots more states through um, social media and other, other um, access points, I guess. And we asked about benefits and challenges. And we, we found a lot of the same things we've talked about here. Definitely benefits with, um, the parent coaching, like you talked about, Emily, with families being in the lead, family participation. Some practitioners were saying they're seeing kids making more progress than they were before, mm. which was a really awesome surprise for some of them. Um, one of the things that the research, that the survey respondents said across states, one of our most common responses when we asked them what their hopes were for the future of the field, I, I don't have a percentage right now, but most such definitely the majority of people said they hoped the the ability to offer telehealth or telehealth as an option would continue in the future because they saw so many benefits and and i think they saw benefits mainly to the that parent child engagement piece and the benefit of the child getting more intervention um they also saw benefits to themselves you know being able to better manage their own family life having some of that more flexibility in their in their scheduling and their and their i guess their overall work life um but they they really liked it what they wanted to see was a hybrid approach. So the decision to offer tele-intervention, telehealth, telepractice, whichever whichever you call it, should be based on what's best for the family, right? And based on those IFSP yeah. outcomes. 
number one. Um, but they loved the idea of having some flexibility too. Like maybe they would see a child at childcare in person and then do a, a tele-intervention visit with the family in the evenings periodically that worked better for the family schedule. Or maybe they would do, you know, a hybrid where some, some providers saw the child a couple visits over um, in-person parent coaching where they're working in the routine, pre the provider's present. And then they move to the more tele-intervention to provide support when the family feels more confident and comfortable and then they can observe in other routines to see how the family's using that strategy so all kinds of creative ideas and a pretty strong voice that there were there were enough benefits to this experience even though there were some hiccups and some you know challenges with the experience that these respondents said we really want to continue to have the op the option to offer families tele-intervention visits now that we know how this can work and how it can benefit families we'd like to have this to be on the table because many states it wasn't an option before and it became one out of necessity yeah i i have seen that like just you know my my daughter's out of early intervention now but um having the ability to do virtual IEP meetings has been nice because it's allowed us like my husband has been able to come where he hasn't always been able to come in the past and even like some of our like we do some like outpatient or you know services that we pay for on our own um, and those folks have been able to come to IEP meetings which has been really it's you know it's been really helpful it feels like it's it's her whole team and not just a portion of the team yeah um, I think that's a and cool I know a idea. lot of school systems have been talking about like that's one thing they hope to keep uh -huh. you know even after the pandemic is over is the ability to do um virtual iep meetings yeah dana do you know is anybody doing any research on this or um kind of like what you said you and your colleague were doing from the parent perspective? I do know of one team, a research team, who is trying to collect stories. And I wanted to say they were trying to collect the stories from like a, a photo stories, but I, I might, oh. photo stories, maybe verbal stories as well for families' experiences. I think they were collecting providers' experiences and family experiences to try to get multiple perspectives. Um, but I loved that idea of trying to collect kind of a, a almost like a visual and a audio story of what the family's experience was like straight from families. So they're having focus yeah. groups and they're doing interviews to try to capture that. So that's one that I know about. I have heard though, kind of just, you know, through the, through different meetings and stuff that a lot of people are trying to look at what tele-intervention looks like, what is the impact for different types of intervention, uh, like you were mentioning before, Emily, with, you know, different families, different children. Um, but I, totally agree that it's not enough for us to just find out what the practitioners what it's like for them megan and i when we sent our survey out we had a version of the survey for families um and we try we circulated that and i think we only heard from about 30 so we you know 30 across four states was still good but not enough to really get a, a a picture of the perspective and that was because it was especially during the pandemic really hard to reach to find a way to reach families and i know in virginia our programs 
don't often have an electronic way to talk to to communicate with families. Many programs don't mm-hmm. email them because of liability issues, or um, or they might have be able they might text with families but not not collect email addresses. So it was it was challenging to try to reach the families, knowing how important it was that we needed to hear their voices. Yeah, it was also just like during that time. I mean, for me anyway, with little kids and working, it was like, do not send me one one more thing. Like <laughs> one more thing is going to be the tip of the iceberg and we're all going under. <laughs> oh, for sure. I completely can understand that. We actually also wanted to hear from families who chose not to participate in tele-intervention, mm. either who just withdrew or said, I need to put services on hold. And they yeah. might have put services on hold for any number of reasons, just the chaos of living in a pandemic at the beginning it could have been due to access issues you know with device and bandwidth and and all those kinds of issues that we saw pop up or related to equity and all but uh, or just even just personal preference some families saying I don't know how that's going to work I don't know how I'm going to do it so we would love to have found out more about them and I hope I'm sure programs are trying to follow up I certainly hope so with them as as more options for in-person services are coming up to, or that hybrid approach. So, yeah, I, th- I know OSEP just put out some guidance around, um, you know, the timing and the process in which early intervention providers should be like following up with families that for whatever reason, either put services on hold or chose not to accept services during that time or, or um, whatever it is, but it, it was not an easy choice. I mean, we decided not to do virtual preschool. Yeah. Um, because I was just like, I, I, I can't, I can't do one more thing. And whatever you chose, it's not an easy choice, right? Completely. Like we're talking about our kids, and you know, most of the time it's kids with disabilities, and what is the impact of that? Um, yeah. But it was at a time when it was like you had to think about what's my own mental health in my own capacity, right? Like, and, and what's the best decision for the entire picture, which my heart, my hat goes off to all the parents that have survived this pandemic, small kids, little kids, big kids, doesn't matter. Like, you know, absolutely. It's it's been hard. The, the mindset shifted, don't you think too, where it's not that your kids became less, uh, or your kid's intervention or therapy became less important. But I think we sort of went to that Maslow's hierarchy a little bit where we were looking yeah. at literally like survival. Do I need to clean my groceries to keep my family safe? And so when you're looking at that safety, which I think I think families absolutely were, practitioners were too, like it does prioritize things in a different way. I mean, it just does. So I think hopefully, I think where we're headed is a new normal, not just for the pandemic, but also for the field for sure too. So it is okay. Whatever the families chose, we all did the best (laughs) we could. And I think that's okay. So Dana, let's take a minute and hear from some some stories. So we have stories from um, a provider named Christine and another provider, her name's Emily. Both of these providers um, gave us some stories that emphasize um, what, what their successes were early intervention are. So let's take a minute and hear those. And then, um, I don't know, maybe we can talk about what we thought about what they said. Okay. Sounds good. For me, the benefits are numerous. Um, it really, telehealth is a way for me to see the child truly in the natural environment, because even just my presence in, in their home when I'm physically there can really disrupt 
a normal routine. And so in telehealth, I kind of can get to sit behind almost like the, the child maybe views me as like a television character or something. So it's a nice way to really get a, a glimpse into what the child's routine and home environment really looks like. So that's helpful for me as a provider. It's also helpful because it helps me grow and uh, understand at a deeper level, I don't have to be touching the child at all times to make an impact. So it allows me to uh, grow my abilities to use my other senses of vision and hearing and just watching and noticing that interaction between the child and the parent and to go slowly at the at the child and the caregiver's pace meaning that even as a as a physical therapist as, as a provider i'm thinking about all these things we can change but in telehealth it allows me just some time and space to slow down and know that i don't have to change everything in this session and i think that also is great to communicate to the to the parent or the caregiver as well is that you know, today we're just going to kind of see what your child's doing, how you guys work together, and we'll just we'll just take it step by step. So it's a very um, nice way to interact with the parent and the child in a way that hopefully doesn't feel as, um, I guess, stronger, um, like right or wrong when I'm there in the home and the parent is like handing the child off to me. So it helps me uh, provide an early intervention um, model, a coaching model with greater fidelity as well. There were times that I became very child-centered when I walked in with my bag of toys and the child came running to the front door and was so excited to play with the toys and with me. And sometimes it happened that the parent took this back seat. And I felt that teletherapy really helped bring my focus back to where what the importance is of doing um, doing a parent coaching model. Um, and I also, it helped me realize that and helped the parents realize that it wasn't the materials that mattered, it was the strategies that were, they were using. Because sometimes if I brought a specific toy to somebody's house and it worked really well, the parents wanted to go out and buy that toy. And they didn't realize that it wasn't about the toy, it was about what I was doing with the toy. So with teletherapy, you have no idea what toys will be at each session. So it really made you think about what strategies you wanted to work on. Um, one example that I always think of, a parent commented that their child didn't understand preposition in, on, under. And the child was playing with a train set, so I suggested using a strategy called acoustic highlighting, which is emphasizing a specific word in a sentence to draw more attention to it. The train is under the bridge. It didn't matter we, that we were playing with the train set. I could have suggested this strategy with any toy that the child picked. So it just enabled us to use that strategy with whatever they were doing. And then if they moved on to, to doing something different, we could have used that same um, strategy. So I think it's really helped me focus more on the parent coaching model, and it's helped the parents focus more on the parent coaching model. Um, when I was in graduate school at Emerson College, I took a class with David Luderman, and he really cautioned us against being Annie Sullivan, you know, um, Helen Keller's teacher who took Helen Keller out of her house and, you know, fixed her separately. And he really wanted us to partner with the parents. And I feel that teletherapy really lends itself to that practice, and I think that that has helped me a lot as a clinician. That's so interesting to hear from two providers who have such positive things to say. It, it is really interesting. One of the things I was thinking about as we listened to those was just how 
these are providers on actual two opposite sides of the country and that just like how similar their 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 experiences are um I thought it was really great Christine is a physical therapist you know she talks about that in her video clip and you know, I really enjoyed listening to her say, like, it helped me to use my other senses and it helped me to build as a provider and think that I don't always have to have my hands on the child and just, um, like, what an amazing opportunity as an early intervention provider to kind of be forced to do something but come out and say it made me a better provider, right? Like, that's that's great. It really is. And both of them were... I think not even just reflecting on the, you know, they're both talking about the family. That's always at the center, I think. But they're both really reflecting on their own practices and what's different in a positive way. Like being able to see the authentic routine, being able to be a better coach, slowing down, figuring out that it's not the toys that matter, it's the strategies. And I love even what Emily said about the not, you know, she's recognizing where she fell into more child-centered approaches. And this really shifted her, her, not her way of doing intervention and maybe the family's perspectives on what intervention could look like too. So pretty big shift, but you're absolutely right. What a, what a, what a, like, I don't know. It just makes me feel grateful that people could go through something that was hard at the beginning and recognize what a positive impact it can have on them and families. It just really speaks to the resiliency of the entire field of early intervention, right? Like (laughs) we, we can, we can go through hard things and then come out at the other end and say, here's all the things I learned from that, which is just, that's, that's amazing to hear. It is amazing to hear. So kudos to you guys listening who've gone through the pandemic and really pushed yourselves out of your comfort zones. I mean, I think that's what this did to a lot of people. Um, And you're rising up out of that, what may have been some initial discomfort with new skills and new perspectives that are just going to benefit the families even more. Like I've always thought that this field, we're so lucky to work in a field that has can have such positive impacts for families. Now, maybe we'll have just another service delivery method or another way to support families that hopefully helps them right meet their own needs for their children in a way that just kind of um another way to individualize services is i guess what i heard kind of in their audio yeah yeah well, we hope you guys have had, um, t- we appreciate you've taken this time to really think a little bit about what's been good about this time, right? T- talking intel intervention. We're going to continue our discussion with our future episodes, talking about challenges, talking about what intervention looks like, um, what assessment looks like. We've got lots more to come. So we hope you'll join us for a future episode to keep thinking about tele intervention and how it's showing up in our world. So thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.